So today on Mind Matters, Corey and I are going to be discussing some more of Chapter 5 of Political Ponderology. That's the chapter on pathocracy. So specifically, we're going to talk about the sections on, uh, well, actually, probably just the one section on pathocracy and its ideology. Um, we've, it's uh, like the relation of pathocracy and ideology has come up, you know, in pretty much most of the the summary talks we've given on other chapters in the book, but this is kind of just like a, a little distillation and um, a look at more at the ideology specifically applied to the phenomenon, like the social system of pathocracy. So Lobachevsky starts out the section by saying, it should, be, it should be noted that a great ideology with mesmerizing values can also easily deprive people of the capacity for self-critical control over their behavior. The, the adherents of such ideas tend to lose sight of the fact that the means used, not just the end, will be decisive for the results of their activities. Whenever they reach for overly radical methods of action, still convinced that they are serving their idea, they are not aware that their goal has already changed. The principle, the end justifies the means, opens the door to a different kind of person for whom a great idea is useful for purposes of liberating themselves from the uncomfortable pressure of normal human custom. Every great ideology thus contains danger, especially for small minds. Therefore, every great social movement and its ideology can become host a host upon which some pathocracy initiates its parasitic life. So that kind of <laughs> right there, um, that summarizes like some of the talks that we've had um, in previous months um, on this subject, how every ideology, even like, um, well, if you look at any ideology, a lot of them are, you know, great in some sense. They, they seem, or at least they seem great on the surface. They seem to have um, like high noble causes that they're working towards. And we even discussed that in terms of just the, like the, the, the overall kind of direction and, and aims of um, like socialist ideologies or more, or, you know, more expanded, like just progressive policies, how there seems to be a, a well-intentioned and, um, you know, nicely motivated um, impulse behind those uh, those political actions and the and the and those movements, it just seems natural, right? Well, who doesn't want justice? Who doesn't want social justice? Who doesn't want some form of equality? Um, it just seems like a, a natural thing, at least more na probably more natural for a certain like demographic of the of the population. But at least to like left leaning individuals like myself, you know, with a, with a, just that kind of temperament, it just seems natural, right? But the what the what people what ideologists like the people who are um, attached to these ideologies don't seem to realize is that that isn't necessarily a good thing like just the fact that you have good good intentions and and what you perceive to be um like a, a self-righteous outlook on life and what sh what should be done to right the wrongs that you see in the world to to bring justice where there is injustice just because of those motivations that even that doesn't make you a good person that doesn't make your ideology good and that doesn't mean that things can't go like drastically downhill and that's the main message because uh the main message i think one of the main messages of political ponderology is that those great motivations are oftentimes um they they are the like the catalyst for the worst atrocities in uh, in human history. It is it's not like it's not like um, the like the worst things that happened. Like if we look at the twentieth century, it's not like all the bad things that happened were the result of just like transparently evil people wishing evil things. It was for the most part good ordinary people wanting good things who were then steered in a in a in a direction counter to their to their own like um, consciously held beliefs, like uh, it's not like the the whole all of the the leftist socialist communist like uh, revolutionaries were just out to just out to destroy the world. That was one thing they were out to do. But they had the the best motivations, and people could get behind it because they saw real injustice in the in the world, and and they were hurting in some sense, and they saw other people hurting, and it's like and that's that impulse to. Uh, uh, that, that that impulse of compassion to to help and to make things better is what gives the like the social movement the fuel to 
um, to, to radically right those wrongs and to, to gain power, to gain the power necessary to be able to do something about it. But like Lobachevsky says, when, when, when you have that, that goal, that end to which you are directing your actions and the actions of others in your entire social movement, then at that point, means becomes means become a very important factor. What means are, go- are you going to use? Because the more you, the more you adopt radical means, the, the more your goal shifts. So if you are um, like verbally for social justice and the means that you use to you know bring about that justice are like intolerant and violent all of a sudden you're not fighting for social justice anymore you're fighting for something completely different even if that's even if you still believe you're fighting for social justice it's not what it's not what you're going to bring about and it's not what you're actively um like in practice um working towards your goal has changed, whether you know whether you know it or not. And like and like Lobachevsky said, that process opens up the space for uh, you know what what we might call in the West you know bad actors for people with um, with like transparently evil motives, even if they don't state them um, outright. The 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 movement then becomes a a kind of Trojan horse, or you know. Um, a mob in which to disguise yourself as just one of the mob, as just one of a, a group of like-minded people when you are a you know, wolf in sheep's clothing, essentially. That is, that is what characterizes um, radical social movements. And, and like people, um, well, some people see it. All, like, usually it's the conservatives that see it because the, you know, the main feature of conservatism is conserving the, the status quo whatever that status quo is. So any re- revolutionary is going to be perceived as a threat. So naturally the conservatives in any culture, in any society that is un- undergoing uh, or that is um, you know, experiencing a, a revolutionary movement of this sort is going to raise the alarm because they see that this social movement is going to, to change things. Even if those things that they're trying to conserve are, um, you know, should be changed or you know, if there are very good reasons for wanting those present conditions to be changed, the conservatives are naturally going to want to conserve them. That's just the way conservatives work. So um, after, after making those points, um, Lobachevsky brings more of the, of the like, ideology into the focus. So the next, the next major pa- point that he makes in this section is kind of like, it seems like a matter of semantics, but he points out that it's not semantics. And that is when you look at the phenomenon that he labels pathocracy, he's pretty explicit that it's wrong to um, it's wrong to refer to that phenomenon um, using the name of its ideology. So, for example, if you're looking at uh, you know the the USSR, a socialist system, you shouldn't call it socialism. At least, um, or at least, or if you do, you should be very precise in what you're referring to as socialist. Like, if you're talking about socialism as an ideology, you should be talking about the ideology of socialism. And there, are, because in the process of Ponorogenesis something happens where that ideology, you know, whether it has um, flaws or, or, you know, positive things about it or not, that ideology morphs into something that is only a caricature of that original ideology. So, um, so you can be a critic of socialism um, without, without necessarily conflating socialism with pathocracy because they're, they're in, in, the, in the USSR or in the Eastern Bloc or, you know, any of the countries that adopted the the you know the socialist model of the of the Soviet Union, the um, those two those two phenomena are, conf- are are like amalgamated like they're they're intertwined in some way. There is some remnant remnant of that ideology, but it has acquired all of these additional features that can only be described um, like using the the language of panorology. You know, getting to like a um, um, a way of a way of speaking of it. Um, that is more, you know, based on like psychobiology, psychology, and essentially using the like the language of disease. It is more like a social disease than it is, um, you know, the. It's better described as a social disease than it is described in terms of the, you know, the 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 ideological movement that gave birth to it. Right, because uh, Lobachevsky writes that uh, differ- differentiating the essence of the pathological phenomenon from its contemporary ideological host is a basic and necessary task. 
because if we accept the name furnished by the ideology of a social movement which has succumbed to degenerative processes, we lose any ability to understand or evaluate that ideology and its original contents. So basically, you know, the, the positive aspects of the ideology, the things that people originally were drawn to about that ideology, you, you toss the baby out with the bathwater. And that's partly, um, I imagine, something that, you know, pathological individuals want you to do. They want you to continue to toss out all of the good things about ideologies until you're, you're just left with this nihilistic, really cynical approach to, you know, to how to organize your life, how to organize social life. Um, and another thing is that you, you become crippled by an inability to get to the crux of the matter, which is, you know, individuals, uh, with, uh, deviant, you know, diff various deviant characters who are warping this ideology and using it in ways that the, you know, whatever original adherents did not want or, you know, and the, you know, the, you just, you miss the entire subterranean process mm -hmm. that's going on. And it sets you up for the entire process to complete, you know, to just circle around again in the future. Because you're not looking for what's actually happening. You're looking for um, Stalin. You're looking for Hitler. You know, that's you know, you're that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for this this uh, all of these different attributes of the polarization process that Lobachevsky points out, specifically like the you know the change in language, the the. The growth of, you know, like he's talking about radical, um, uh, radical ways of trying to meet the ends, you know, the the ends justify the means, and all of these all these subtle twists that will point out to you that there's a, a a pathological movement occurring, and so then you know treating that differently than from just some something partisan, you know, it's not mm -hmm. just it's not just political, it's not it's like you were saying it's mo so much more than that. You have to really take a medical kind of point of view to understand what's going on and to maybe nip it in the bud rather than, you know, feeding into, really feeding into it. Because if you just see it as a partisan issue, then you are just as likely to fall prey to the those subterranean processes that are going on. You can start to engage in the same kinds of thinking as the other side, you know, for lack of a better term. Right. And uh, and the one of the other points that Lobachevsky makes about why why you shouldn't do this is that um, you can't combat it otherwise. Like if you're if you stick within the like the simplistic like almost binary categories of um, you know them and us, you know the, those evil socialists and us, you know well you know so historically during the the Cold War, you know the the Westerners versus the the evil communists. Um, if you if you leave it at that level of analysis, you're not going to be able to do anything. Um, because you're you're essentially being an ideologist yourself by reducing everything to one factor. Right, um, one explanatory principle where the, the the phenomenon itself is much more complex and multifaceted. So, um, so for instance, if you if for you the like if if you're a reverse Marx, so you, so you're not a communist, but you think that everything you know re, um, reduces down to um, economics, like the you know Homo economicus. If you think that everyone is economically motivated and you know out of self-interest, and that's your view of human nature. Then you might look at a, a socialist country and say, "Oh well, they just need to change their economic system, and everything would be great." But that that com that uh, that completely mm -hmm. um, it won't work. Lobachevsky is basically saying because the the system isn't the the problem with the system isn't primarily an economic problem. It is an economic problem, but it's way more than that. The um, so what what you'd essentially get is okay. Well, let's let's try to institute these new capitalist, let's say, policies, well, you'd still have a pathocracy. The social structure would still, would still, be, um, would still be organized according to, you know, in the way in which Lobachevsky describes it. You'd still have a, a pathocratic um, like, uh, leadership and social system. And you probably even wouldn't, wouldn't even be able to get um, um, certain economic practices or put into effect because of the inherent like corruption and pathology of the entire social system, it just it it probably wouldn't even work. Um, so so to the extent that you would be able to actually change the economic policies, 
not much would even change. You'd probably even be stopped from making those changes in, in some systemic way because the, the problem isn't economic. The problem is, is psychological. It's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the psychological you know, intertwined with the social, it, which has created an entire social hierarchy, social system that is kind of impregnable to uh, an, economic, um, an economic attack, let's say, or you know, method of regime change. It's just not going to work. Well, that that makes me think of you were you were talking about how you know ideologies can present like you know systems of delusions. I think did you touch on that already? I just briefly just mentioned. briefly touched on it. Well, when you think about it like that, you think about uh, uh, how Lubachevsky writes. You know that famous pioneers of contemporary psychiatry correctly distinguish between the disease and the patient's systems of delusions. So a, de a disease has its own ideological causes, its own pathodynamics and symptomatics, which distinguish its nature. But various delusional systems can become manifest within the same disease, and similar systems can appear in different diseases. So you can be a paranoid schizophrenic who believes that Satan lives under your bed, or you can believe that the you know the USSR is you know tapping your phone, or that the CIA is in your Wheaties, and you I mean you, it, that that. You could be a paranoid schizophrenic and have each of those different, you know, symptoms or systems of delusions, mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the underlying. The underlying fact is that this these individuals all have paranoid schizophrenia, mm -hmm. and so when you're looking at the history of these polarized ideologies, these caricatures of themselves, you're it's like you're looking at something very similar. Yeah. You're looking at you know like some macrosocial paranoid schizophrenic. Who thinks that you know the everyone's a fascist, or that thinks that you know the you have to ethnically cleanse your population, or who thinks you know they have these systems of delusions, and uh, you can't. And the best way he also points out that you you cure this is not by combating their their delusions. That's not the act. That's not the the best way to do it because if you as a psychiatrist, you know, if you just go in there and you just tell them you're an idiot. You dummy! There's no CIA in your Wheaties, or the USSR doesn't even around anymore. You know they just—it's not going to work. He says, you know, you might even prompt them to want to commit suicide, and just you know make the crisis more severe. Uh, but what you would probably do if you were knowledgeable in this is probably something along the lines of something like Jordan Peterson is doing, where you would you would focus strictly on the mental hygiene aspect, and you would focus on putting out messages that are more in line that with, uh, you know, healthy common sense, healthy self, uh, you know, critical attitudes, you know, just basic kind of growing up, being responsible, that kind of a message you would want to put out there to, to individuals who are going, undergoing some kind of a, a hysterical period like this, because it does, it just doesn't seem to, to work. You know what I'm saying? And that's what he's, he's saying is that you don't just, the systems of delusions are just themselves delusions. You know, they're fun to make fun of, I guess. I mean, you know, the modern times, we, there's, there's just so many delusions out there, so many systems. But underneath, you know, you're dealing with something completely different. And that's not, that's not to say that everyone is like a paranoid schizophrenic. Like all of these are like paranoid schizophrenics because clearly some are like psychopathic predators. Um, it's just a, a whole amalgamation of different sicknesses all, you know, and then you have to, I guess you would probably have to gear your approach towards what works for different sicknesses. Mm -hmm. And then and that's why he, he says you need to have a medical type of, you know, differential diagnosis going on in order to understand what what this mass of people presenting with this common delusion, where the you know what's the primary you know delusion, what's what are you know what's their primary neuroses, where are the psychopathic type individuals, you know what and how much of a what kind of a message can you give to give the largest percentage of them some semblance of sanity back. So that you know the the more insane, the most insane and incurably insane, um, lose some of their hold over the group, and it you know maybe it disperses. Well, the I think the like a the, psychic chemo kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> I think the uh, that his like the analogy with disease that he uses kind of um, I don't. We'll probably we'll get to more of that in a later chapter when when he talks about uh, I think like therapy for the world is one of the last chapters, 
because he's got some specific things to say about how to how to go about healing the the disease. But for the like for the purposes of this section, he's he's kind of just hammering home the 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 similarities between the the two phenomena. So like an individual disease process and then like a macrosocial disease. So like uh, like the point that you you said, Corey, it's essentially um, the main point he's making is that you can have a disease that leads to um, different um, different symptoms. You know, so one disease can appear in like three different ways. Let's say. But you can also have um, the same appearance, the same set of symptoms that can be produced by, let's say, three different diseases. So if you if you're, have paranoid schizophrenia and you've, you're seeing the CIA in your Wheaties, well, you, you might not have, if you're seeing the CIA in your Wheaties, you might not have paranoid schizophrenia. You might have some kind of like drug-induced um, like psychosis or something. There, there are different, different pathways to get to that specific um, set of symptoms that, you know, whatever, whatever you're presenting with when you come into the, you know, into the psychiatric office or, or, or whatever. So the, the connection with the social systems he's saying is that there are, there are actually different pathways to the same, um, like the same delusional system. And so he gives the example of there are three pathways, according to him, to, to pathocracy to a specific form of pathocracy. So let's say you take the, like the, the specific model of like a Soviet pathocracy. You can get there through a, like a homegrown process where it, uh, um, you know, you could call it like a spontaneous, you know, social movement that generates within a, within a society. Or you can have your, your country basically invaded by another country and they impose by force this new system, uh, this new social system, which is not just not limited to government, or it can be artificially infected, um, basically like through psychological warfare and espionage. Um, so those are the three pathways that he 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 sees as leading to the same outcome. So so you've got the same delusional system, but they've they've gotten there through three different like disease pathways, um, and what you do will depend on which one of those is true. Because they have different features, like for example, you know, in the in the Eastern Bloc countries, they were um, like in Poland or or uh, you know Czechoslovakia, like the Romania, like the 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 system was seen, even though it, well, the system was seen as like a foreign invasion, even if it wasn't literally a foreign invasion. So, like for like Lobachevsky says, it's like for the for the Poles that he lived with at the time, it was like they saw it as a as a foreign system. So there was kind of like this this. Um, it was easier to achieve unity among the, the the general public in opposition to the system because they saw it as foreign. They saw it as as uh, you know Soviet, and you can see the remnants of this in the some of the like ex-Soviet republics, like in Ukraine um, and in like the, the the Baltics. It's like where there is this residual um, you know hatred of all things Russian. They still see the Russians as the problem, um, you know, despite the fact that it's been. 30 years and well it's just not the it's not the the most accurate nor the most most healthy way of you know looking at either history or the present but you but that's that's where it comes from is it it was seen as this foreign foreignly imposed system which kind of united the people um against the the system of government um but you can also have the same the same um you can also have the same symptoms that are produced by like totally different um diseases. Um, well, it's this, a different example of the same phenomenon. So, for example, like, uh, like he points out, like ideologies can be deformed, well, they are deformed in a pathocracy to become that caricaturized version um, that, uh, that he describes, but ideologies are also deformed in like a hystericized society, in a, in a society like characterized by like mass social hysteria. Ideologies deform in both of them. So you'll have this deformation of of ideology happening in a you know a so-called normal country, in a state of hysteria and in a pathocratic country, um, but there there will be slight differences between them. And just um, on that point, like when you're looking at specific features of a, uh, of a of a certain form of society, they can be shared by all kinds of like varied social systems, varied um, like no, so-called normal or you know pathocratic, like. Um, like you'll see censorship, censorship in both, for instance. Like there's a, but there's a particular form of censorship that you see in like a totalitarian system, and then there's a particular form of censorship that you see in a hystericized society. 
um, like the way he describes it in the chapter on uh, the hysteroidal cycle is like in a, in a hystericized society, it's not like there's this top down mandate, like you, you can't publish these sorts of things. Um, and you've got like a censor in the office looking at your stuff and saying, no, take out this, take out this, take out this. It's more of a, it's more of a, it's a process that's more, um, internal, like everyone just kind of knows the rules. And so they, the, you don't you don't need a, a govern an official government censor in your office to do the work for you. Um, you you just automatically know know to self censor yourself on certain things. So that's that's how you that's what we see in the states and well in the entire West today in regards to like the 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 whole anti Russian hysteria. For instance, it's like everyone just knows that that's what you do. And if there's a good story about Russia or something that debunks some kind of nonsense that they published before, it's like yo you just don't talk about it. And like I, I doubt. I doubt that there are there are like official government censors in any of these offices doing that. Of course, there are there are definitely going to be um, spies in in various you know newspaper offices you know shifting like a you know massaging the narrative in certain directions for for specific ends. But it's not the kind of like overbearing totalitarian thing that you'll that you saw, for instance, in the Soviet Union. Um, the the different flavors of the of the same kind of um, uh, well, different flavors of censorship, you could say. Well, so correct me if I'm wrong, though, but you've pointed out the two different forms of the polarization of ideologies. And it seems to me that, so the, in, the, in terms of just a social hysteria, the, one of the primary purposes of this distortion of the ideology is to basically, he, he says it, uh, he writes about the importance of using it to conceal from your own mind and from the public opinion the this the drastic state of the disease and you know and when you're talking about human behavior and society what you're doing is you're you're trying to prevent yourself from seeing what you've done and and in that sense it's it does become a self-reinforcing cycle where like you said you don't you don't want to publish something good about russia because then that makes you you look bad you know that you were wrong when you were being hysterical but you know from just the purely normal person normal society standpoint succumbing to hysteria that you can have this drastic caricature of an ideology just because you are you know there's this disease that's proceeding dynamically and you are um, using that ideology to justify your actions and so in that sense you know you don't have to have someone who's psychopathic involved because as, as he writes you know in the well-developed like pathological pathocratic system the psychopaths have a completely different attitude towards the ideology and they they couldn't give two craps less about about it I mean, they don't, they don't need it. I mean, they need it in as much as that is a mask, their mask of sanity, but you know, they don't have any qualms about their past behaviors or anything like that. And people will pick up on, on their barely concealed contempt, uh, for this ideology. But, you know, for just normal people in a fit of madness, you know, that's probably, that's more like, it's more like their lifeline to, you know, just to their last connection to reality before they snap. I think that uh, that relates to something we talked about. I think it was in our last show on ponderology about uh, about ideologies and how, um, like, there were I think like the three or four stages of the like the the deformation of the of the <clears throat> of the ideology and the the ponderogenic movement basically, and how. So I think what the phenomenon you're describing about like the normal person like attached to an ideology that is, that would be. They'd be in the in the stage of the kind of the weaponization of the ideology. So it's like that's the that's when the the ideology is used as a as a like motivation and justification for action. And the then the like the the pathocratic one where you talk about the the pathocrats having contempt for the ideology that you're, you're that you're using. That's the kind of final stage. That's the that's the dissimulative stage of pathocracy where where the ideology is used just as a mask. And and as a um, as a tool for for action, but of a of a different sort. So the the action then becomes um, the just the total repression of the of of the population, essentially of the internal population of like its its own citizens. So the when you have the the ideology at that other stage, it's like um, 
I think at that point, it's not even a, a conscious process. Yeah, it's, this, it's like subconscious process going on in someone of that ideology. So they're, they're blocking stuff from their own, blocking, like Lobachevsky might put it, blocking self-critical associations. So um, anything that might, might have previously irked that person's conscience, it's like that just doesn't become conscious for them. Um, they they're blinded by by their ideology, but but for that person they're still they're still attached to the ideology. Um, they're still a true believer, in a sense. So the the ideology hasn't become a caricature yet. It's just become brutalized or weaponized. Um, so for the so these these are the true believers we're talking about. So like this goes back to the show we did on um, where we talked about I think like right sector and um, you know Salafi jihadism. Um, about the about the true believers, like as bad as the true believers are, they still haven't reached the caricature stage of of the the ideology. Like that comes after um, after power has been solidified and control has been solidified in the country. Then the, the the ideology has by that time it has shifted into just a complete caricature of itself um, to the point where the like ex adherents of the ideology are joking about. You know about the leaders because they're so obviously you know out of touch with the the ideology that they're professing. Um, there's there's a complete disconnect between the two. So with the with the actual believers that that they're still in the like if if their movement is still in the stage where they have like true believers like that, it's because it's it's because it hasn't achieved power yet. Essentially, they're still at the stage where where the, the ideology has this uh, kind of like motivating force for people that they can actually believe in it and, and use it to, to achieve certain ends. Um, but the, but it's, it's deformed in such a way, like Lobachevsky said, that the, 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 the adoption of and the, and the utilization of like more radical techniques, more radical methods of action have have shifted the goalposts a little bit. So these people can still believe that they are, um, you know, moving towards goal X, but they're not anymore. They're actually moving towards like pathocracy and they don't realize it. And then once pathocracy happens, it's like, then they're the ones going to the guillotine. Um, they're the ones, you know, being put in concentration camps. They're the ones being, um, uh, well, I'm going to jump ahead to a, a paper here. Um, just let me get a quote from it. What was it? It was a, they're the ones who are being made to leave the party of their own free will. <laughs> that was a, that was a joke in some of the, in, the, in some of the communist countries. So you are free to do what we tell you. Yeah. Um, so th then at that point, it's like, that's when the, that's when you can call the, the ideology like a caricature of its original version. It's not even a, like a weaponized, radicalized version of itself. It's not even like the, you know, it's not it's not Antifa on the streets, you know, calling for, you know, bashing the heads of fascists. It's Antifa in power, you know, bashing their own ex-members right. because they think that their act, their purpose is actually to to battle fascists, mm -hmm. right? It's like it it inverts upon itself and becomes a total caricature. And even if the 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 original ideology was ridiculous in the first place, like uh, an ideology can be completely you know batshit crazy and still not be a caricature of itself in the sense that Lobachevsky is talking about here. Well, see, now that's one thing that I was that I was thinking a lot about in preparation for the show is. What makes a good ideology versus a bad one? Because you're talking about goals. You know, these ideologues, they have goals. They think they're going towards X, but they're really going towards Y. And Lobachevsky talks about um, how, you know, ideologies can have a truth deficit, which, you know, just mars them from the very beginning. And so I, I was thinking a lot about that. You know, what makes a good ideology and what makes a bad ideology? And I was thinking about the origin of the word ideology it's it was originally you know back in the french revolution was it was supposed to be a science i can't remember the name of the guy who founded it but ideology was basically like the zoology of ideas and then over you know over time it kind of grand it gained its own sort of meaning and now we we've ended up with you know a number of different definitions of it but 
you know, when I think about a lot of these ideologues and, you know, modern ideologies, you know, like Antifa, if, in as much as that has an ideology, right sector, in as much as they have an ideology, and, uh, you know, different Salafi jihadi type groups, um, I think that religion is a little bit more of a, it seems like a better word, just in my, you know, just from what I'm, what I think of when I think of their, their behavior, because it's a completely binding force that tells them, you know, everything about the past, the present and the future. And they have gods and they, they will sacrifice everything for these gods, but their religions, they don't realize that they're religions. You know, it's like from the very beginning, they think that, you know, you you believe that you can change the world, you know, just from the very outset, a part of, it seems like every ideology is the, is the sense that you can change the world to look the way that you want to. And so I think that just from that, just at the very core, uh, idea, that premise that if we get enough people together, if we convince enough people that we can change the world, whether it's right sector, you know, making Ukraine great again, or, you know, turning it into an imperial power or Salafi jihadis thinking they, you know, change the political structure of whatever society to force it to be what they want it to be. You've immediately embarked, um, like you think you're going towards X, but you're, you've already got, you're already going towards this place that, um, that is completely contradictory to, common human sense, mm-hmm. just any sense of humility or understanding of, you know, man's place in the universe. And so I, you know, it's just when you were talking about that, that it got me to thinking about just ideologies in general and, you know, the meaning of the word mm-hmm. and some of the common just truth deficits that, that seems to me to be one of the biggest truth deficits in terms of setting yourself up for failure of, of just the worst kind. Yeah, well, uh, that reminds me of um, what Jordan Peterson talks about in Maps of Meaning and what he's talked about in some of the talks on that book about the, what, like, he, he thinks there's a difference between ideology and religion um, in the sense that religion, re- religion is more, um, um, basically religion has more aspects to it than ideology. Ideology is like a, um, like, retarded and, like, uh, just diseased version of of religion. It's missing something essential that um, that religions have. So ideology um, is uh, is just like a you know a pale, thin, weak version of religion. And that's why that's why he thinks like the, all the ideological movements of the past you know couple centuries have have led just to have led nowhere essentially, or to to something um, uh, horrific like in Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union or you know. China or Cambodia or wherever, um, that it, it's because of the inherent lack within that ideology. So what Lobachevsky would say to that is that um, um, even so, like taking your point and saying like let's let's classify all these ideologies as religions. Like what Lobachevsky would say would that would uh, would be, or we can do it the opposite way and say let's just say all religions too are ideologies. Um, that'll be easier for talking about Lobachevsky. So Lobachevsky would say that there are. Um, that ideologies can be um, like corrupt and pathologized from the beginning, or they can acquire that that pathology by you know adding stuff in at various times in their history. So he would look at like the the major religions as being um, um, normal and potentially positive systems for a culture for a society that can that have various degrees of of pathology inherent in them, and which can acquire um, additional pathologies and path, uh, pathological material in certain circumstances. So you can have, you know, just like we see today, we can we can have um, overwhelmingly Christian nations or Muslim nations or uh, like a Jewish nation or you know Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, and those societies can be relatively well functioning. Or can can you know survive relatively relatively well and function relatively well um, without being necessarily pathocracies, um, and because they've got that kind of like Nassim Taleb would call it like that Lindy effect, the they've they've stood the test of time and they've they've learned you know they've developed over time and evolved over time to um, 
to just have that lasting effect that uh, of something that works essentially but within those systems you can have various degrees of like dysfunction um and you can have like um kind of uh like periodic um episodes within the histories of those ideologies those religions of like extreme um extreme pathology where something additional has you know accreted itself onto that onto that system and you see you know what what could be or what could be like an abomination or you know something just something out of the ordinary that's that's come into that history um so um so you can see that in like the with the rise of salafi jihadist movements or various kind of like extremist um christian groups or or extremist jewish groups or extremist hindu or or you know whatever groups you can you can see these little these little movements um like grow up from from time to time and but on the other hand you can have a an ideology that is more more pathological from its inception so this is where you get like the all the the ideological theorists of like the 18th and 19th centuries coming on so you've got people like marx who have created a an ideology that is has more pathological material built into it so um when put into practice it will like it's not going to have the the staying effect or the 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 survival power that all of the like all of the major religions have um because of that because of the degree um of of pathology inherent in the ideology itself so that's you know that's why every time someone has tried to um have a like a people's revolution or some country or some social movement has tried to effect a a people's revolution along a marxist model it's it it has never gone quite according to plan because it can't go according to plan that actually gets into something that um that he that lobachevsky gets into on <clears throat> again looking at this at the ideology as like equivalent or analogous in some way to like a delusional system um basically uh like an ideology just like uh like a system of delusions they they start like in their uh like taking ideology back to the like to the ideas um uh the concept of ideas or just ideas themselves they start as the um what he calls the conviction um that outline the conviction the conviction outlining methods of action so basically you start with your ideas um that mo- that give you the like the motivating force for your actions so this is just a belief structure, a belief system. And that's what it starts out as. And that's what any ideal uh, <clears throat> that's what any ideology will start out from. And and that's what religions do in a in a better way is that they provide like the entire the entire system for how to live your life essentially, how to live your life individually and in a group. And um and they're, you know, they're effective in in what they do to greater or lesser degrees. It's not to say they're perfect, um but they've worked. And then um but what happens as this um you know as the disease progresses as it becomes a delusional system as opposed to just like a you know a, what merely starts out as maybe like a false belief is that um the uh well in the context of pathocracy and in the context of like let's say paranoid schizophrenia or something like that or, or not necessarily paranoid schizophrenia but just um certain types of certain types of mental illness just leave it general is that lobachevsky basically says it becomes it morphs into a disguising story so it's covering up something else um and the way he describes that in the terms in terms of mental illness is like a a patient who is concealing their their illness um th- like with the through the um um like through their delusional system um i don't know exactly how that works cuz he he doesn't really go into detail so i'd have to th- i'd have to think about that i know it- well i was i was thinking about that uh as well and it was it was hard to to picture it the only thing that i could think of was um somebody who had some sort of a, an addiction of some kind mm-hmm. and you know they they're using every possible kind of ploy, ploy pity ploy yeah. to you know to to get you to to not confront them about it to oh. enable them yeah. and yeah well it's actually yeah no it's pretty simple because like the the delusion is is the lie essentially it's the excuse that they're giving for something that that they either can't or won't admit to themselves so when you have a delusional system like it's not that the CIA is in your weedies it's like that is a 
that is a that is a dis, that's disguising some other thing. Well, it's disguising the fact that you have paranoid schizophrenia, or you know, or it's some kind of drug induced psychosis, or whatever. It's disguising the actual the actual disease and uh, replacing it with the delusional system, which is like this, which which you're you which you are using either to um, um, either to deceive the people around you or to deceive yourself because you you can't you can't admit to yourself that there's something wrong with you essentially that, that you that you need help or both um, and there are examples of that he gives you know as a uh, clinician in the book in other places where he describes you know encountering people like that who who are not only trying to convince themselves that there's something not that there that there's nothing wrong with them but they're trying to to convince him you know their ther- his their therapist that there's nothing wrong with them it's uh that's what he that's the example he uses for the dissimulative for, uh, phase of the pathocracy it's like trying to it's the it's the not necessarily the mask of sanity a type of mask of sanity that someone with mental illness will use to try to convince everyone that's oh no everything's okay nothing wrong with me um maybe i think probably at root because um, a lot of these people don't want to admit it to themselves whereas um with a different kind of um, thing going on, like with personality disorders, I'd say th- I'd say in that in those cases, it's more of just trying to to convince other people. Like with psychopaths, psychopaths are perfectly aware of you know their own uh, their own nature, but they're primarily trying to deceive other people to so that other people don't realize what they're like and what their what their motivations and what their um, you know w- uh, desires are. So there's this. Um, so what he says about that, like the reason that an ideology becomes a disguising story, like this dissimulative um, tool that pathocrats use, is because, like he points out, the ideology itself is quickly exposed as unworkable. Um, and, you know, the example, of course, that he's primarily basing this off, off of is socialism, as envisioned in, you know, the the, the Marxism, Leninism, the, 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 the primary... Um, the primary ideology of the the communist socialist countries, it just didn't work. It turns out you can't actually structure a, an economy or a, a social system that way. It won't work for various reasons. And so after that, the 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 second thing, well, the second thing that he points out is that uh, Corey, you mentioned this earlier, is that um, pathocrats have a, a naturally contemptuous attitude towards the ideology itself. It's like they don't actually have any any skin in the game they don't they don't they're not actually socialists for instance they could care less about socialism um or like any or marxism or you know any any specific ideology they're just there for um power and for their position um you know that's what that's where the postmodern the postmodernist interpretation might be right is that there there are there is a group of people that is just out for power um it's just most people aren't like that um, pathocrats aren't like that. They just want other people to work for them, essentially, and they want to they want to be the ones in charge. So, um, yeah, uh, one or two quotes, and then we're gonna. I think we might wrap up for today. Um, first, this is. Uh, well, I'll just read this paragraph. So, understanding the nature of a disease of a disease is basic to any search for the proper methods of treatment. The same applies by analogy with regard to that macrosocial phenomenon, pathological phenomenon, especially since, in the latter case, mere understanding of the nature of the disease starts curing human minds and souls. So this gets back to, you know, when we were mentioning, uh, like, therapy for the world and the actual um, process of, of kind of curing the disease. The advantage of, of or one of the positives of... Um, like this kind of pathocratic system is that just knowing about it, just knowing what's going on, is a huge step in making things right, in in um, in turning things around. Um, so then it goes on. Um, psychopaths are conscious of being different from normal people, like I just mentioned previously. This is why the political system, inspired by their nature, is able to conceal this awareness of being different. They wear a personal mask of sanity and know how to create a macrosocial mask of the same dissimulating nature. When we observe the role of ideology in this macrosocial phenomenon, quite conscious of the existence of this specific awareness of the psychopath, we can then understand why ideology is relegated to a tool-like role, something useful in dealing with those other naive people and nations. 
Pathocrats must nevertheless appreciate the function of ideology as being something essential in any ponderogenic group, especially in the macrosocial phenomenon which is their homeland. This factor of awareness simultaneously constitutes a certain qualitative difference between the two above-mentioned relationships. Pathocrats know that their real ideology is, de is derived from their deviant natures and treat the other, the masking ideology, with barely concealed contempt. And the common people eventually begin to perceive this as noted. Thus, a well-developed pathocratic system no longer has a clear and direct relationship to its original ideology, which it only keeps as its primary traditional tool for action and masking. For practical purposes of pathocratic expansion, other ideologies may be useful, even if they contradict the main one and heap moral denunciation upon it. However, these other ideologies must be used with care, refraining from, offic from official acknowledgement within environments wherein the addition, uh, where, from environments wherein the original ideology can be uh, uh, made to appear too foreign, discredited, and useless. So basically, um, this kind of, this probably applies to most intelligence agencies, not just pathocracies. That uh, you can use any ideology. Well, it does apply. Like just look at the history of the CIA, um, history of various unnamed intelligence agencies, they will use groups in foreign countries, in their own countries sometimes, as um, that are totally um, like antithetical to their own you know, official ideology for political purposes. And, uh, well, so it's no different. Um, and that says something about intelligence agencies and their poss possible like psychopathological nature. Um, but um, with that said, Corey, did you have anything to say on that? Don't be points. delusional. Don't be a delusional. Okay. Well, in that sense, I think uh, we're going to cut it short a bit today. Um, yeah. And come back next week with some more stuff. So, um, I'd yeah, if you haven't read the book yet, I'd recommend it, Political Ponderology. The reason we're doing these shows, um, not just because we find them fun, is because the book itself is kind of hard to read. Um, so, we're trying to go through it bit by bit to try to just make it a bit um, a bit more comprehensible because you know it, it is important so if you read it and you don't really understand what's going on in the book um, you know hopefully these talks can can help we got a playlist on our channel if you just go to uh, playlists we've got a ponderology one we'll be putting up all our other all our previous shows that we've done even like before we were doing um, mind matters we'll put up the old truth perspective episodes eventually um, some of our other discussions on other chapters and eventually we'll get through the whole book, which should be fun. So thanks for tuning in everyone and tuning in everyone. And we'll see you next week. Bye everybody. <laughs>